Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for bringing this encouragement. Thank you for the loving warning and rebook. Thank you, Lord. You've shown your love once again. You've demonstrated your presence in the midst of your people. Continue to speak to us and grant that every heart here will be circumcised to receive your word like that good soil so that we may produce fruits in fifty and hundred folds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I must continue to express my joy and gratitude for being here over this weekend. I have not just come to teach. I think God has brought us here for some lessons. So on behalf of my wife, my family, and your brethren in Nsoka Diocese, I bring greetings to you once again and thank you all, especially the Archbishop of Enugu Ecclesiastical Province and the Bishop of Enugu, Most Reverend Dr. Iyo Chukuma, for giving me the authority and privilege of standing before you. I equally want to appreciate my friend and brother, the vicar of this church or chapel, Venerable Professor Sam Ike, and the wife, and his entire team of clergymen and the leadership of this chapel. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your care. And thank you for every encouragement you've given us to minister this weekend. We have been looking at the team, Go ye into all the world and make disciples. And um, by the grace of God, when we started on Friday evening, we made an attempt to x-ray the need for discipleship. The need for intentional discipleship. And Saturday morning, during the leadership forum, we moved to the angle of looking at the steps that should be taken in making disciples. And we looked at the need for each 
and every one of us to be sure, first of all, that we are disciples ourselves, so that we can disciple others. For it is only those who have been discipled that can actually disciple others. And in the evening yesterday, we looked at another very important step of becoming a disciple when the Lord spoke to us clearly on what he needs from us. And that is regularly being in his presence so that he can make us. Because the making of disciples is not by any human being. It is God himself that works in us to make us disciples. This morning, we are continuing with the teaching. And um, I've been led to look at another very important aspect of discipleship. You will recall that when we started, or since we started on Friday, we've been emphasizing the fact that discipleship is not a course to write, it's not a seminar to attend, it's not about what we gather up on the head, but it is about relationship. And that's why we say that even if you take or read books on discipleship without a personal relationship with somebody that you may discover you will not be discipled. So we want to look at that aspect of relationship on the topic mentoring in disciple making. That's the topic we'll be looking at this morning. Mentoring in disciple making. Let's start by reading John chapter 14, 15 to 18. We'll be reading many places today. John chapter 14, 15 to 18. And uh, I would appreciate if somebody would be reading for us. John 14, 15. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit, who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him, because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him, because he lives with you now, and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. It's okay. Thank you very much. 15 to 18. I will not leave you or abandon you as orphans. I heard somebody said that there are more orphans in the church today than we have in the orphanages. 
In other words, the greatest orphanage in the world is the church. When you hear such statements, you begin to wonder what could it mean? What does it mean that there are more orphans in the church that we have in the orphanages? The text we've just read, our Lord Jesus Christ made a profound statement. I will not leave you as orphans. You, you can see that Jesus said this in the context of his promise of the Holy Spirit to his disciples. Preparing them for the future and to show them a spiritual principle. And it is that principle that led us to this text. The use of the word often to me indicates that this statement has something to do with the principle of spiritual parenting. The principle of spiritual parenting. So we can ask these questions. What's the meaning of the word often? And how do they behave? What was wrong with them that Jesus wouldn't want his disciples to be like them? Orphans, as we know, are persons without either both parents, the male parents, or both. And you know that orphans, the real orphans, are social misfits who are without anybody to provide for them or to protect them. Life to the fatherless is always harsh. Without bothering you much on their experiences, I want just to cite a recent example. You remember sometime, I think last year, here in Enugu, Emene, there was a story of a girl that was almost killed by her caretakers. The girl that was designed <laughs> with hot iron and that almost died. The story revolved around the fact that that girl is an orphan. And these people picked her with the intention of taking care of her. But you saw how she ended. That's the story of orphans. People that don't have anybody to care for them or to protect them. So for Jesus. To promise his disciples. 
that he will not leave them as orphans indicates that there is the possibility of his followers who live as orphans. That is to say, there are spiritual orphans. And by this we mean, you may have your parents, biological father, biological mother, still living with you. And you are a Christian. And still, you are an orphan. Praise God. One is a spiritual orphan. When he doesn't have anyone or doesn't know anybody, he can refer to as his spiritual father. When you are a Christian, either growing or not growing or whatever that is your experience, but once you don't know anybody, that you can boldly say, this person is my spiritual father. You are an orphan. The Christian life is a journey. It is a journey that takes us on a walk unto the fullness of our sonship in Christ to the destination of becoming like Him. From the day you give your life to Jesus, you are set for a journey. And this journey has a destination of bringing you to the point of becoming like Jesus Himself. When we accept Jesus Christ, we are actually born again. Truly, all things have passed away and all things have become new. We become new creation in Him. But you know that really, does that mean an instantaneous ability to live the old lives? Because we still see ourselves struggling with those old ways of living. It often takes the effectual working of two processes to overcome them and be able to reach that goal of being formed in the image of Christ. Two processes. Number one is the continual comfort and teaching and edification of the Holy Spirit. As a child of God, you receive the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit you receive is to continually comfort you. To continually teach you and edify you. And you know, Jesus Christ in describing the work of the Holy Spirit, He called Him the Comforter. And He said, when He comes, He will lead you into all truths through His teaching. And we know that the Holy Spirit is in us to edify us. So the Holy Spirit does this work in the life of a believer. But that is one of the processes that we require to grow into the image of Christ. The second one is that 
that disciple needed to live in a discipleship centered community a community that provide the the enabling environment for discipleship a community that provides all the needed requirements of discipleship if you have the holy spirit without living in such a community you may still make heaven but with great difficulty and so all of us need these two processes to be able in this journey to reach our destination to direct us away from the prodigal son behavior into our true reigning rights as sons of the living king let's read first corinthians chapter 4 verse 15 verse 4 verse 15 for even if you had 10000 others to teach you about christ you have only one spiritual father for i became your father in christ jesus when i preached the good news to you thank you acts of apostle chapter 16 1 to 3. Acts 16. Paul went first to Debe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well taught of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Thank you. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. First Timothy 1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Thank you. First Corinthians chapter 4, 15 to 17. First Corinthians chapter 4, 15 to 17. First Corinthians 4, 15. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. That's why I have sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of how I follow Christ Jesus, just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. Thank you very much. I think... Does need to emphasize that the discipleship journey is challenging. And God's plan is not that anybody should do it alone. But His design is that through an ongoing relationship with mature believers who become our Father. 
we will grow unto his image. Such fathers take the responsibility to help the young believer to grow in Christ. In this relationship, the truth of Christ are modeled and applied in the context of encouragement and accountability. The truths of the gospel are modeled and applied in the context of encouragement and accountability. This type of relationship is meant to go beyond cultural and ethnic boundaries. This is what we call mentoring. Mentoring. We am I'm, I'm aware that mentoring is a very common word and we talk about it in every profession. But here we are concerned with Christian mentoring and as it relates to discipleship, growing in the Lord. Mentorship. What is the role of mentoring in disciple making? What's the role? Although the word mentoring is not explicitly stated in the pages of the scripture, the concept is strongly applied in the relationship that existed between Jethro and Moses, and between Moses and Joshua, and also between Paul and Timothy. But most importantly, Jesus demonstrated mentoring as he spent his personal time with his disciples, following them up, exalting them, and encouraging them. You remember, both on Friday and Saturday, we have been reading Mark chapter 3, verse 14, where Jesus, Bible said, he called the twelve, whom he designated apostles, that they may be with him, and that he might send them. The being with, yesterday, when we are talking about only one thing is needed, the being with is not just visiting him, but close relationship that opened the hearts of the apostles unto him, and also brought the apostles closer to him, that they can boldly say, we, we are with him, we ate with him, and we know him. So Jesus can be said to be a practical example of what mentorship is all about. So, mentoring and disciple making can be defined as a relationship where a more mature person intentionally works alongside another believer through a process of life transformation learning for through transformation learning for the discipleship growth. 
It is a relationship. We are a more mature disciple. You are still a disciple, but somehow you are more mature. You take the responsibility, personal responsibility. You decide on your own. Pick up a younger believer to walk along with him for the process of life transformation that will strengthen the young believer to grow unto maturity. That is mentoring. In disciple making, the more mature believer, irrespective of age or social status, assumes that responsibility for the growth and development of the disciple. So, he doesn't mind your age. That's why a younger person can disciple you even when you are already old. That's why a layman can disciple an ordained clergyman or mentor. For instance, now I have a mentor who is not a bishop. He's a clergyman. But I discover he is more mature than I am. Even though I wasn't the one who went to him. God brought us together somehow and he started this work. So it doesn't matter the age. It doesn't also matter the social status. Mentoring is motivated by love. That's all. Is motivated by love and begins when the more mature disciple identifies and pursues a relationship of trust. So, like I've already said, it's not the younger person that should be meeting people and telling them, I want you to be my mentor. It's wrong. It is the mature person that should identify the younger one and pick him up. So you search for being motivated by love. Genuine Christian love is the motivation. And you pursue a relationship of trust. A relationship of modeling. And a relationship of accountability. Relationship of trust. Relationship of modeling. And relationship of accountability. With the believer. This is what Paul referred to as being a father to Timothy as well as the Corinthians in our text. Look at how Paul, this comment that Paul made in 1 Thessalonians chapter 8, verse chapter 2, verse 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. He says something about the Thessalonian church. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Thank you. Can we read it together? Open your Bible. Let's read it together. Have you seen it? Open your Bible. Or can it be projected so that we read from one Translation. 
First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8. Can you? Okay. Let's read from our Bible. Are you there? Okay. Together go. We cared for you so much that we please to share with you our Thank you so much. Please, can, can you point out two key things from this verse? Three, sorry, three key things from this verse. Who, who can, can point out three key things? You can mention only one. Or what stood out to you? Yes, ma'am. Affectionate longing. A brother in his translation said, We love you so much. Yes, another thing. Another thing that's standing out to you. Yes, sir. You have become dear to us. Another thing. Yes, ma'am. We share not only the gospel, but also our lives. Yes, barista. Want to say something? Want to say something? Okay, no. We love you so much that we are ready not only to share the gospel with you, but also our lives. Because you have become so dear to us. You have become so dear. We love you so much, you have become so dear. Christian mentoring is motivated by love. Mentoring in other professions can be motivated by anything. In academics, what may be motivating you is so that you can boast of the students that you've raised. And so a professor can be saying, I have over 50 PhD holders who have gone through me. And it will be part of his feathers. The feathers on his cap. But in mentoring, it's also what motivates us is love. Praise God. Additionally, mentoring accountability relationships are not restricted to new converts. Mentoring is not just for new believers. We've been talking about a mature believer going for a younger believer to mentor him so that he can grow. But it is not restricted to younger believers. A mature believer may need mentoring in specific areas of his life and faith where they are struggling or where they lack understanding 
or personal accountability. Some of us are already mature. We are experienced. We are old in the Lord. We are old in faith. Everyone knows that we are born again. But the truth is that there may be some areas of your faith where you are still struggling. Or where you don't have a good understanding. Take for instance Moses. Moses already had encountered God on the burning bush. Called to go to Egypt to deliver the people of God. Moses had already come back and is already on the process of delivering the people. In fact, God had been gracious to him that he had testimonies to share with his father-in-law. But the father-in-law discovered an area he was struggling with. Leadership, delegation of duty, and time management. And Jethro, as a mature man, mentored him, advised him, and Moses applied that, and his leadership was better. You also remember, Apollos was a great preacher. He preached in a congregation where Priscilla and Aquila were members. Members under the ministration of Apollos, an evangelist that had been invited, so to say. But Priscilla and Aquila discovered an area where Apollos was struggling and took him home and mentored him. So in mentoring, if you actually want to grow and apply mentoring, no matter your age, be open to mentorship. Be open to mentorship. Praise God. Mentoring is critical to disciple making process because personal relationship and accountability helps move the truth of the scripture from the head to the heart to practical lives and to relationship of the disciple. You remember our forgage that we learned yesterday? You remember that? Can you mention it? The head, the heart, the hand, and the head. Through mentoring, the truth of the scripture is moved from the head to the heart. Otherwise, it will remain on the head. And that's the problem with many of us. We, we sat under great ministration. We listened to powerful messages. We understand them. We, we even take decision that we will change and become, begin to do some, some things. But some of the decisions we discover, we don't go too far. Because sometimes what you've decided to do, you may not know what to do about them. And this is the point, you need a mentor to move the truth from the head to the heart. And from the heart to hand, that is practical Christian living. And then to help, which is on your relationship with others. Praise God. Praise God. 
This can only occur through some key mentoring dynamics. There are some key mentoring dynamics that I want to mention and discuss here. That every mentor must apply and every Christian mentoring must have. These are the things that, that differentiate Christian mentoring from other mentoring. Number one in this dynamics is modeling. Modeling. Having an example to follow is critical to spiritual transformation because it provides a picture of abstract spiritual concepts. There are so many spiritual concepts that come as abstracts, difficult to understand, until you see somebody practicalizing it, modeling it, you may not actually understand them, or it may be difficult to be applied. So, this makes them real and practical to the growing disciple. When it is modeled, then it becomes real. Real. You see it. You see it. Then for instance, my mentor was sharing how his own mentor touched him. And he shared a story. He said one day, as a very small boy, he was going with this great man of God for a program. The man of God was driving. And he was with him in his car. So along the way, the man of God called him and said, Sam, please pray for me now. If you see what is going on in my heart now, you will pity me. You, 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 won't, you, won't, you won't want to go with me again to this program. Pray for me that God will forgive me. He said, Sam, do you know that I am thinking now, I'm already thinking now about the money that we give me in this program. Pray for this is an evil thought and ask God to forgive me. When he said this, he said, which other way can a mentor teach a mentee how to handle materialism than this great man of God with a small boy, small boy, he's just like a bishop traveling with a small boy from the youth fellowship to a program. And along the way, the bishop will ask the small boy, Pray for me for God's forgiveness. He started confessing his sin to the small boy. This is what we mean by modeling. Because it's not enough to come and teach people. You should not be money conscious. You should not think about money. Especially men of God. Every time you talk about money, money, money. It's a wonderful thing and easy thing to say. But to me, this act alone is a great message. So many people are looking for those that will show them the way 
unto what God wants from us. And you remember we hear Paul saying, be imitators of me. Imitate me as I imitate God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1. By saying this, Paul was saying, I am a model. All that I have been preaching, the one you don't understand, watch my life. For I am preaching what I am doing. The younger ones, they need people whose lives convince them that one can be a disciple of Christ. Especially in their social and cultural context. Despite the challenges that may exist. You know sometimes you'll be, you'll be telling some people, you'll be teaching. And asking people, this is what you're supposed to do, this is what you're supposed to do. For instance, now that I'm coming from Monsuka. A village setting. And I'm preaching to you in this institution. Many of you are lecturers or my students. There are things I will say here. And you say in your mind, Bishop don't actually understand. You don't understand. You don't understand what we are passing through. Because you are coming from a different context. But when somebody, for instance, your fellow lecturer, we say to you, bro, this is the way it should be done. Or that brother see you doing something that he has been seen as a big challenge, which as, as something impossible. That's the only time he will be convinced that this Christianity can be practiced even here. And that's why, you know, the hymn before the sermon, far, far away in the hidden land. That's the, that's the hymn. But you know the Hebrew translation. Hebrew translation said, Nansuno. When they were translating this hymn, the white people that wrote the hymn, we are referring to African country. And when the game came to Africa, our father said, it is not far away. It is here with us. Nansula. That at the backyard. At the backyard. Are sinners who want to hear the gospel from your life. So the going, don't wait until God will be sending you to India. Don't wait until God said go to China. Nansul, in your context, start to model Christ. That's how to be a mentor. A mentor must model the truth of the gospel. On the other hand, mentors feel accountable to mentees because they, the mentees look unto them. 
And because they look unto you, you become careful. And so, there is a mutual edification. The mentees are watching your life. And you as a mentor, you are careful. So that you don't lead anybody to sin. Even though you are not doing it to please them. But that will also help you to stand and live rightly. So this is the gain of modeling. Number two in these dynamics is accountability. In addition to modeling, converse grow by developing solid and regular pattern of spiritual disciplines. We grow by developing solid and regular, regular patterns of spiritual disciplines. Isaiah 28 verse 10. Can we read that? Isaiah 28 verse 10 and 1 Peter 2 2. Then he tells us everything over and over. One line at a time. One line at a time. A little here and a little there. A process, a procedure. First Peter 2 2. First Peter 2 2. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Thank you. There are spiritual disciplines we must develop, such as Bible study, prayer, meditation, fasting, witnessing. These are spiritual disciplines. They don't just come. You learn them. And every believer needs to know and practice and develop in these disciplines. The only way to do it is through accountability. With the experience, mentors can provide direction on how these disciplines can be observed and provide encouragement and accountability as they develop new habits. They may sometimes do these disciplines jointly with mentees to motivate them, helping them make adjustments and work the way that it best suits their context and needs. Just like modeling, the mentor working with mentees will not just ask them to pray or fast. They will also do it with them. And in doing it with them, they watch them. For instance, you can say to your mentor, can we fast on Wednesday? And then you fix praying and fasting, 12 to, or 1 to 12, or 6 to 12. You may not come together. But after that day, you can call the mentee and say, how did it go? Were you able to fast? He may say, oh sorry, I couldn't fast. I just started by 6 and by 10. I, can't, I couldn't carry my weight again. So I, I ate something. So in that case, you don't need to rebook him. I say, that's okay. It's okay. Maybe next time we do it again. 
with this, the person will be conscious that somebody is watching him. That he is accountable to somebody. The same thing can be applied in witnessing. He can share with you that he's living with a, an unbelieving neighbors. And you decide with him to go for witnessing. You go once, go twice, and then decide to go witnessing separately. Or agree that every Friday you'll be going for one hour witnessing. Or that during break in your office, it will be time for witnessing. Talk to one person. And after that day, each day, it's your responsibility as a mentor to ask him how far, how did it go? Were you able to talk with anybody? What was the response? What do you think you can do again? With these questions, you are building somebody. Every one of us needs such encouragement. Praise God. Number three, encouragement. Growth is a gradual process. Converts will struggle with certain challenges and weaknesses as they strive to follow Christ. As we said earlier, you can give your life to Jesus and truly all things have passed away. But the truth is that you, you don't automatically become perfect. You see struggles in your life. Some of them you don't have boldness to share with anybody. So, because of this, we need encouragement from somebody. At one time, a new convert may overcome some of these challenges. And at other times, they may falter and stray. In such moments, a mentor can offer invaluable encouragement. One to whom the person can confess and safely expose his vulnerability. Let me emphasize this. The mentor can only be one to whom the mentee can confess and safely expose his vulnerability. This is an issue today. This is why so many people hide and cover up a lot. Not that they don't know they are not doing well. Not that they don't know there's need to confess one to another. Not that they don't know that, that meeting somebody and telling him, exposing your weaknesses can encourage you. But the fear has always been to whom shall I go? And as I'm saying this, a thought came to me that even sometimes it is difficult for husband and wife to expose their weaknesses. Because one will always hold that against the other. Take for instance, your wife telling you that that money you are looking for that she actually took the money. But she was afraid of telling you how you will feel. That they had need in the house. And she saw the money. And knew that the money is your money or our money. Took the money and solved the problem. 
She exposed her weakness because in the first place, when taking the money, she said, I, I'm taking this money. But coming of us husbands will forgive and forget to the point that next time you are looking for your money. <laughs> that you won't go to your wife. I said, you won't, you won't ask her, did you take the money? The question now will be, why did you take the money? <laughs> and even when the money is called, I said, I didn't take anything. You didn't take anything. You have come again. <laughs> this is the problem. Can they safely confess their sins? Can anybody safely come to you and tell you his weaknesses and you keep it? If you don't have this quality, you cannot be a mentor. This is what almost all of us are looking for. We are looking for such people. We can come and say, I am a Christian. The devil deceived me. Look at where I am now. And that person will say, don't worry. I am with you. I am with you. I will support you. We will pray. We will overcome Satan. That's one of the dynamics of Christian mentoring. In such a moment, a mentor can offer invaluable encouragement. You remember Barnabas? Which is men, uh, which means son of encouragement. He demonstrated faith in John Mark. When John Mark deserted them at Pamphylia, in Acts chapter 4 verse 6. Though, through his encouragement, John Mark matured as a faithful servant of the Lord. And later, Paul recognized him. Calling for his assistance. Paul said, I won't go with him. I won't go with him. He's an unfaithful believer. He's not dependable. You should go. You should go. Barabbas said, no, 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 no. And you remember the work of Barnabas on Paul? Barnabas said no. That's why his name is Barnabas, son of encouragement. John, come. You have not done well. Hey, come. Come. Barnabas walked on John Mark and later Paul said, I need him. <laughs> Praise God. Similarly, an encouraging mentor is a tower of refuge. From the accusing finger of Satan and the society. Society. You know sometimes, even when a brother sins in the church, we will tell the society and join the society in accusing him and destroying him. And many of us will sell ourselves as Pharisees and Sadducees. Righteous ones. You hear people talk, no, Abu Kwanamu Mamifa. Mamanataya. They can get smoother. Oh, Nararona Kobo. This is Omuk. To fear. It's a question this brother, a serious brother. Without such relationship, 
of encouragement. Young Christians may drawn under the weight of guilt and become hopeless in their work towards becoming like Jesus. Number four, counseling. Counseling. You remember these dynamics? Number one is what? Modeling. Number two, accountability. Number three, encouragement. And number four, counseling. Thank you very much. Major decisions in life of a disciple may require a counselor who is close and mature. Close and mature. Decisions on areas of life such as career, marriage, relationship, significantly affect one's work with the Lord. Many Christians' faith have suffered shipwreck due to bad decisions in these areas. Bad decisions. Because there's nobody to guide them. Mentoring and accountability relationships afford young believers and even mature believers the opportunity to receive wise counsel before making important decisions. Mature mentors can help identify natural abilities, spiritual gifting, and God's leading in the life of a mentee. That's another angle. Outside counseling in taking decision, you can discover the gifting of a young believer and then work on him, counsel him on how to develop that gift in him. Because mentors do not see converts or young believers for who they are now, but for who they can become by the grace of God. That's the eye of every mentor. You don't look at anybody by whom he is now. You look at him by what he will become tomorrow by the grace of God. And that drives you. Praise God. Praise God. Through mentoring, Mature believers nurture and guide new believers in the use of their gifting and opportunities for their own personal growth and benefit of the church. Timothy became useful to the church because Paul nurtured the gifts of leadership or teaching within him. Through his letters, he guided Timothy in specific areas of church ministry and encouraged him to boldly stir up the use of the spiritual gift in him. 1 Timothy 1, 1-6 The latent potential of many Christians lie undiscovered because mature believers often fail to exercise this mentoring responsibility. I thank God for this church. I've enjoyed this worship. And I think other churches should learn from you. 
I was given a responsibility recently to lead a task force that the primates can set up to recover our youths in Church of Nigeria. And in course of doing that work, in addition to the little I've known, I discovered we have lost a lot of our youths. Not because they hate Anglican Church. Some of them repented here and left us. The problem was that we didn't have or there were no mentors who could guide these younger ones on taking major decisions in their lives and in the use of their gifts. And as young growing ones who are interested in their future, they are always asking, what will I be tomorrow? And when they see the smoke of the gift in their lives, and nobody is interested in that, they will be searching. And when anybody discovers and encourages them, they will follow him. We come to the church. You see potentials lying, wasting away. And few individuals are laboring. Thank God your church may be unique. But most of our churches, the same person that is chairman of church committee, sorry, harvest committee, is also the secretary of building committee. And will also be a member of the welfare committee. So you see 20 people within 200 congregations being involved in leadership. Others are just coming to give you money and go and wait for the day you will visit them for some welfare packages. You will attend the wedding of their daughter or naming ceremony. Or to some, they are just here registering, ensuring that they are members so that on the day they will go home, the church will come. We are our mentors in our church. We are the fathers. There are so many orphans in our church. Orphans, so many. Many who didn't enjoy breast milk, spiritual breast milk of anybody. Many who don't have anybody to run to to complain. Spiritual orphans littered all over the place. We are, are the mentors who will model the truth. Who will bring encouragement. Who will establish accountability relationship. And who will bring wise counsel. Look at some practical things we can do in mentoring as it relates disciple making. One, when you pick up somebody, my advice would be 
If God is leading you to start this work intentionally, don't try to bring too many people. Start with very few. Because it takes time, it takes money, it takes talent. Pick very few. Meet regularly together. One on one. Not, not group. One on one. At least once a month. Make sure you meet with your mentee. At least once a month. And meeting is not just, uh, come, come, let's see. Come, let's see. Uh, do you have anything to share? Please do that. I, I'll be leaving in the next five minutes. No, that's, that's not what the meeting we are talking about. It's meeting when you will relax and give him or her all the time she requires. The whole time. Meet regularly and give him or her enough time. Number two, begin by getting to know one another. Getting to know one another. Be interested in every part of their lives. On this getting to know one another, uh, uh, one another you don't just ask, start asking him. You can begin by telling him about yourself. For instance, you, say, you can start by saying, I, I gave my life to Jesus this date. I found my wife in this way. Not just I married in the year. Tell him how you found your wife. Including the mistakes you made. Tell him all the story. You wedded. The challenges you have been facing in the family. The blessings of God. The grace of God. Everything. Tell him. It's when you are telling about yourself. That that person says, eh, So this man can say this thing to me. After. If, before you stop. He will now be saying, let me say my own. <laughs> let me say my own. But when you start by asking him, hey, tell me, tell me how you gave your life to Jesus. Are you sure you're born again? You're scaring the person. Tell him yourself how you gave your life to Jesus. Tell him about your family. Tell him about your struggles. Tell him about your hopes. Tell him about your blessings. Tell him about the grace of God in your life. And then listen to him. When you do this from time to time, you are opening up the heart. Because it is only when the heart is open that you can actually mentor. That's the key thing. You can spend up to one year just getting to know yourself. <laughs> yes. Because some people are, don't open up easily. You know, even in our marriages, some men will say women are difficult. You can't know them even after 10 years of marriage. And if it is so, you can imagine somebody who is not from the same parent, who is not your wife, who is not your brother, who is not your son. So, take time. Don't rush anything. Close relationship until the heart is opened. Number three. Talk about discipleship lessons and how they are being applied in their life. Assuming you are you are teaching him some lessons. For instance, what we taught yesterday. Three days. Devotional life. Maybe you handled it in one of your meetings. Talk about it. How are you doing it? How are you getting on? Ask those questions. To monitor their growth. Then focus on four key areas of life. Personal work with the Lord. Family relationship, community life, and ministry. Personal work with the Lord, 
family relationship, community life, and ministry. These are the areas you will be touching as you meet and discuss. Balance asking good questions and listening with offering your own ideas, experience, or advice. Listen more. Don't just cut the, the discussion and push in your idea, your experience. Mentoring is not about giving instruction. Do it this way. Maybe he came to you and said, hey, Brother, this fasting is becoming difficult. I, I've tried it and I, I can't do it. Don't just begin to tell him, this is how to do it. This is how to do it. Listen to him first. Ask him good questions. So that you will understand his environment, his context. What's actually his problem? Before you can get to the solution. So balance listening with uh, giving your own advice and sharing your experience. Pray together. Expecting the Lord to guide and walk in the life of the mentee. Each time you meet, even if it is two minutes, pray together. And I found this praying a, 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 a good one. Ask the mentee. You can, can ask him, can we pray? So that he will know that you are interested in him. You are not nodding it over him. And then, pray for him first. After praying for him, ask him to pray for you. By asking him to pray for you, you are also monitoring how he's learning prayer. And because you have prayed first, he may pray in the way you have prayed. So spend time praying. Again, try to spend time also doing ministry or sharing life together. Informal life. You can just ask him to come. You want to go to market? Come. If you are free, can you come? I just want to pick something from the market. He will go with you. As you are going, you are discussing informal things of life. And these are wonderful opportunities of getting to know one another. And this thing I'm saying, parents, biological parents, supposed to be the mentors of their children. So the same thing I'm saying here, we ought to apply it to our children. I was saying, sharing yesterday in the morning, this thing we are talking about mentoring, mothers do it well, but not intentionally. Because when you ask your daughter to join you in the kitchen, a small girl of seven years or five years is mentoring. He may not do much in the kitchen, but as she stay with you, watching you do those things, before you know it, she started cooking. So that's mentor, uh, mentoring. Again, honor mentoring values such as openness, openness, humility, Acceptance and confidentiality. These are mentoring values. Honor it. Honor it seriously. Be open. Don't hide anything. If you hide your, in yourself, they will also hide. Be humble. Don't lord it over them. Even if you are above them, once you meet them, bring yourself to their level. Bring, if you are a lecturer, you are a professor and you are mentoring a student. Be humble enough to bring yourself to his level. 
and show the person that you've accepted him. Because sometimes many people struggle with this rejection. Rejection. The society has rejected them. There are people has rejected them, and is looking for someone that will accept him. Okay. So show him acceptability, acceptance, acceptance. Bring him in. Eat with him. Walk with him. Encourage him. Say good things about him. Point out those good things he's doing well. And forget, don't talk much about those ones he's not doing well. By so doing, he will feel accepted. And then, confidentiality. Don't just whatever thing you hear from him, you share with other person. Don't share with anybody. Anybody. And when I say anybody, I mean anybody. Unless at points when the person will ask you or the person will want to shade himself or herself. Praise God. Now let me end with this question. Who is your mentor? Who is your mentor? Secondly, who are you mentoring? Don't you think that God has been waiting for you to do something in the life of somebody for the person to become what he wants him to be? When do you think you will start to mentor somebody? Do you think you need to pray that God will bring a mentor over your life. Let us pray. I don't want to give you any prayer points. But I believe God has ministered to us. And I think we need to respond to him in prayers. Like the living waters run over my soul, let your Holy Spirit come and take control in every situation. That has troubled my mind All my cares and burdens unto me